0: We're just trying really hard and I think nothing is happening magically. It's, it's a lot of people who are committed to kind of keep it going and, and make the change. I think if we can make East Hampton a little bit more connected for, for pedestrians and bicycles, I think we're opening up that same opportunity to, to people who are older. We're, we're definitely looking at people with mobility issues. So the, the discussion about bicycles and pedestrians by doing that, we're, we're going to make it better for, for other people.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast, conversations about creating a culture of activity. My name is John Zimmerman. I'm the founder of the Active Towns initiative, and I'm honored to serve as your host each week on this podcast journey. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's always wonderful to have you along for the ride. Today is Friday, September 10th, 2021, and I'm delighted to share this conversation I recently had with Jeffrey Bagg, city planner for East Hampton, Massachusetts. This episode is particularly special to me because it was made possible by you by way of a listener's suggestion. Allow me just a moment to read a bit of the note submitted by Patrick. East Hampton is a small western mass city that's more aptly a dense village. They are trailblazing out there doing amazing work that other small-scale communities should try and replicate, investing in a fantastic rail trail, a pedestrian boardwalk, traffic calming roundabouts, raised crosswalks, and new trailheads. It's also surrounded by jaw-dropping natural beauty. And I believe this episode highlights some of the real challenges that every community faces as it attempts to connect people to meaningful destinations through high comfort, active mobility facilities. Once again, Patrick, thank you for this suggestion. And if you too would like to make a suggestion for a future topic or guest, just drop me a line at john, that's J-O-H-N, at activetowns.org. Since this episode is once again a long one, let me keep this brief by simply saying that this conversation is being brought to you by the generous contributions of our donors, sponsors, and monthly patrons on our Patreon page. This really doesn't happen without your support, so if you're in a financial position to pitch in a few bucks to help back my efforts, just head over to my website at activetowns.org and navigate to the donation page. Thank you all so much for tuning in and for whatever support you're able to provide as I strive to grow this movement to create a culture of activity for all ages and abilities. Okay, let's get this conversation with Jeffrey Baggs, city planner for East Hampton, Massachusetts. Rolling. Rolling. Well, Jeff, it's so wonderful to connect with you here today. Welcome to the Active Towns podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Let's start off by having you just uh, explain a little bit about yourself and your background, how you came to be doing this type of work. I've been in this
0: position for about four years, and my wife and I actually uh, bought our house in East Hampton in, in 2010. So we've been living here for a little bit. And part of my story is that coincidentally, we're not, I don't know, I grew up in East Hampton. I was born in the, the, the city next to us, Holyoke. And I went to uh, Maple street school here. I went to Whitebrook middle school and you know, I met my wife at, at UMass Amherst and we, we moved away for a little while. And then we, we landed back in East Hampton and kind of over that, over that time period, I, I was interested in, in political science and the environment. And I had a couple jobs. Um, you know, I was an environmental planner was one of my first, you know, real jobs and sort of just, just came upon kind of planning in terms of like municipal planning. And so I had a couple, couple different jobs doing that. And I worked for a regional planning agency sort of in in central Massachusetts. And then this opportunity popped up and, and it's, it's really been a quite a unique experience to be really working in the community that I grew up in. I've got two kids, so I've got a nine-year-old daughter and a seven-year-old daughter. And so, you know, they are going to go into the school system here. And it, I, it's been a real perfect, a lot of things have been lining up really well that, you know, my time here has been visually changing East Hampton. And, and I think mostly for the better and and we're working hard to to kind of keep looking ahead. And so, you know, that's been, this has been a really unique point in my in my career, in my life that, I'm just, I'm just invested and and I'm in my community that I, you know, I'm, I'm living here and I'm working here. And so, you know, that has, it has some characteristics, you know, good and bad, but mostly good. And so, you know, that's kind of a real quick, real quick whirlwind, you know, picture of where
1: I'm at now in my career. Fantastic. And about how large of a community is East Hampton? How, how many, how many, uh, uh, residents and then also the physical size of it?
0: Yeah, East Hampton is you know roughly sixteen thousand people, so it's a it's a city uh, because of the form of government, and that happened in nineteen ninety five, long before I was ever you know involved in it. But I would say we're 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 a pretty small city geographically speaking. We're we're kind of we're kind of condensed. We have um, a mountain range. It's you know we we'll call it a mountain range here. It's Mount Tom is a geographic shape that bo- creates one of our borders. Uh, we have a connecticut river and we're bordered kind of on the other side by some more rural towns west hampton south hampton and then on both other sides is our our other cities Uh, north hampton is kind of the is is a larger city and then holyoke um, on the on the south side and so we often talk about how we're unique I'm sure we're not that unique, but we are. We're unique enough that, you know, over the over the past like many decades, East Hampton has been trying to, you know, solidify itself as its own place. And and that has really that has really taken shape over the past, you know, 20 years in particular. And so we're nestled kind of in western Massachusetts, and and you know, the joke, you know, the running joke is that we're not in boston and so there's there's a pretty uh, there's a lot of massachusetts left outside of boston but if you're traveling you know uh, a common corridor is is interstate 91 so that brings you from connecticut north kind of cuts through western mass and continues up into vermont and we're you know we're we're 10 minutes from you know the highway and then the way massachusetts is set up we also have a a, a mass pike so it's the it's a interstate 90 which kind of goes east west and so we're also about 10 minutes off of that. So we're kind of we're not an exit off of either of those highways, but we're 10 minutes from either of those. And that's that's been good. It's been beneficial. Northampton and Hoyle, for example, though, are, are exits on the highway. So they get a they have a different type of
1: pattern of visitors and, and things like that off of the highway. When you look at your population, would you say that it is a uh, like a, a bedroom community to a larger metropolitan area where many people are, are commuting to for work? Yeah, I
0: mean, I think if, if I speak generally, I think we are still kind of a bedroom community, but I think it has changed. I think, it, you know, East Hampton has become more inwardly focused and there are, what I observe is there's a lot more people who live and work in East Hampton, and that's a, it's a beautiful thing. I still think we have this bedroom effect where some people are leaving East Hampton to get employment. The other bigger city south of us is Springfield. And then you know, growing up as a kid, you know, my my father worked in Connecticut and he worked at you know Hamilton Standard and they built like airplane parts. And so still commutable because we're ten minutes from the highway. So it's I have nothing specific in terms of data, but you know, generally we we have a lot of people who probably leave East Hampton for employment, but more and more, you know, and as things evolve and change, we have a lot more people who have just have come to live in East Hampton and then started a business in East Hampton. And that, that is growing and it's becoming more of a staple. I don't know if we'll ever, you know, we don't have too, too much industry to, to keep East Hampton residents employed in East Hampton, but I mean, we're kind of a mix. I, I mean, I, we're not a true bedroom community. We have, we have stuff going on. We have businesses, we have places where people come into East Hampton to work as well. So we're kind of a mix.
1: Yeah. It, and is I, I know that uh, Amherst is is just up the way there, not too far away. So, uh, you know, obviously a major university town up there. Do you also have uh, some smaller universities or colleges kind of in, in your neck of the woods too? Yep. We have um, East Hampton itself has a, a private school
0: called Williston Northampton School. So that, you know, that has, uh, it's kind of a own population of, they are, you know, students who drive in, and then they have dormitories, and so there, there is, there is a hub uh, in East Hampton, based on that private school, and then outwardly there, there's, you know, there, there is five colleges. That's, that's kind of one of the, the names of this region. Um, Northampton, South Hadley has Mount Holyoke. So there are in the greater area, in, in close proximity, there's a lot of, you know, the higher ed institutions, and that's. That's good. I think we we do. You know, it would be great data point for me to have, which I don't. But you know, we have people who live in East Hampton who commute to you know their job at UMass Amherst, for example, and that, that's a it's a easy commute, like thirty minutes. But we don't. We have a little pocket of the the private school in East Hampton.
1: Yeah. Well it's interesting too, cuz uh you know I I saw that uh, obviously this is a city that's uh, you know been in existence for for many many years I think it was what 1785 or something like that when it was formed is that about right Yeah somewhere in that neck right. of the woods yep. Yeah so it's been around a little while <laughs> so it's it's got a historic thing and and like I said you you have roots there so it is encouraging that you sort of have that sense that there are, are a lot of people who are living there and starting businesses there. And so one of the first things that that makes me uh, wonder about a place like this, especially when we look at our traditional development patterns of urban environments, you know, towns and, and villages and, and cities, is that they were just inherently very walkable places you know, prior to the advent of the automobile and the, the advent even of the bicycle for that matter, you know, that was like the defining factor is it was, you know, in, inherently walkable. And the fact that you guys have roots, you know, prior to both of those eras of the, the, the bicycle and uh, the automobile, uh, I get the sense that that's still part of the DNA of the place. Is that correct?
0: Yeah, yeah, it is. I, I appreciate that. It's a good kind of segue, you know, I, I'm not a historian, so I, it's like the general description, but East Hampton had kind of water running through it. And, you know, in the in in the early settlement of East Hampton, you know, there were a bunch of mill buildings that were built and they were really purpose built. So it, it's, you know, the story of, of Williston, Samuel Wilson, I was going to, I blanked on his name, but it's Samuel Wilson. So it was really a critical time in East Hampton where they took the water bodies and they dammed them up and they created these series of ponds that powered the mills with the water. So it's pretty traditional, but over time, the mill, the mills grew and grew and grew. And the the number of mills grew to a point where, you know, East Hampton was kind of a hub of manufacturing and similar to many other communities where it just stopped. And so, you know, the, the manufacturing companies left, over time. And I think the, the beauty of East Hampton is that there was kind of a quicker recovery from that. And I don't know, there's a lot, there's I'm skipping over a lot, but let's say, you know, between the the forties, you know, when, when the, the buildings really went vacant or were really underutilized and the eighties and then the nineties, the nineties were really a, the pivotal point where people, a couple of crazy mill owners and, and we say that really like enduring because, you know, they, they found these mills, they, they bought them, they invested in them and kind of in 1997 around that time was we took, you know, um, one of the mill owners really converted, started to convert the mills from their former life to their, to the, what they are currently kind of these mixed use areas, the apartments on the top floor. And you know, that was a huge risk. I think at that point, you know, East Hampton was kind of, you know, it was, it was much more of a bedroom community. And in 97, 96, I graduated high school in 96. I I didn't do anything in East Hampton. I went to Northampton. and I was, I was going elsewhere just as a, as a young, you know, young teenager. And meanwhile, those mill owners were, were taking the risks. They were, they were securing these spaces and renovating them. And through that time, the, many of the mills got converted and what what we see is the history is that there were artists who were kind of in the area and they they, they they started to live in the mills and they were there, you know, kind of hidden for a long time and they were making their craft and that was really this organic basis for East Hampton to, to build on that. Um, more artists came and then, you know, it started to spill outward and that's that's where we've been in this transformational stage for, for, you know, 20 years in, in this area, you know, the past few years have been very prominent, like East Hampton based and a lot of, we're getting a lot of press and, you know, but that that's been percolating for a very long time. And, and so a lot of people kind of say, well, East Hampton, well, it's, it's all of a sudden, you know, this thing. And really when you look back, there were, there were people who were invested in East Hampton a very, very long time ago to make kind of those mills something different. And I, I I don't want to lose the thread because, you know, the, the mills were built, um, around the ponds. And then we have several of these neighborhoods that were housing, um, specifically built for the mill workers and the, the most, the the craziest thing. And the the thing that, you know, if I had a, a, a wand there used to be pedestrian bridges over these mill ponds that would connect the mill housing to the mills, they're gone. Um, and now people have to really, you know, that now the water is, you know, it's a little bit of a barrier that we want to rebuild that pedestrian connection, but those neighborhoods are tight, totally walkable. They're a little bit centered on the mills, but then kind of the way we're focused here is our downtown is also very close. So we have kind of this centralized, centralized area where, where that's where we're, we're really focused on that um, in terms of making remaking it, uh, Pedestrian-friendly and walkable.
1: Yeah, well, I hear what you mean. You hear hear what you're saying in terms of you know the, those old boardwalks that were <laughs> like literally crossing the ponds. You know, because as the crow flies, you're like, well, I want to go there, and being able to to simply walk across the water, so yeah. to speak. Uh, is is much more convenient. Now, I just looked it up. Your 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 total area of the the city is like 13 square miles, and it seems like there's a fair amount that's that's fairly less dense in terms of of population. So I get the sense that the the populated areas there 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 it seems like there's a pretty good level of density, not. Not high rise, obviously. You do right. have a couple of your uh, your 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 mill locations that have been turned into mixed use. Uh, is that a, a, an a an appropriate or, or a correct uh, analysis of that?
0: Yeah, no, it is. I mean, you know, we we developed the core first. That was the the mills and the downtown, our our couple of main streets here. Then you know we had the I think the normal build out of that, and that was a real traditional kind of downtown feel, and I ironically, those neighborhoods closest to downtown and and the walkability those, they're thriving right now. I mean, we're, we are struggling with higher real estate values and costs, but those areas are totally in demand right now. And, and that's, it's good. It's a challenge, but it's also good. And then we had, you know, I think in the, between the fifties and the seventies, we had kind of what you would call this traditional suburban development. We had, we have a couple areas that were just, you know, subdivisions after subdivision, after subdivision, and just typical single family homes out. And that's where I, I grew up. It's called the Plains. You know, I grew up out there and, and really by and large, you need a car, uh, you need a car to get into town There there are some routes and you know, it's like un it's like unbuilding that and trying to rebuild, you know, a good, a better sidewalk system to get back into town. That's, that's definitely things that we're focused on, but, Sadly, there's, there's not a lot of money for that right now. There's the, the money's focused in other areas, but yeah, I think you have that. Yeah. You know, you, know, you kind of hit that on the head um, and people live out there and that's great the it, it, you know, we need the mix of housing, but the downtown neighborhoods, they're just, they're really sought after right now. And, and we're lucky enough. We, we bought a house. It's, you know, it's like a, less than a mile from downtown. It was a fixer upper and we're still fixing it up but we can walk to the park and we can walk to downtown and we can get to the rail trail. And so, Oh, and, and, you know, the schools is another thing. So, you know, the schools were traditionally downtown and kind of neighborhood schools. And so one thing that we're going through now in terms of a transformational situation is we're building a new school for, for pre K through eight and it's kind of out, it's out in the outskirts. And so, no, We're, no, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> the, the issue is for, for, for many, many decades, these, these downtown schools are they're old. They are you know they're some of the oldest in Massachusetts. and they're just not equipped to be schools anymore. And, and I think everyone has tried to cobble them along. And so, yeah, the, we made a, a giant leap as a community, the, 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 residents voted, um, you know, a, a debt exclusion override to pay for new school. And it's a blessing because my, my, I went to Maple street school, one of the little downtown ones, and it literally has not changed since, since I went there or, you know, the generation before me went there and now, you know, it's going to open next, next September, not, not, not in a month, but in a year. And, that's a really big shift for us right now. And, and that's um, it's given me as a as a planner, you know, and, and thinking about this, it's given me 20 projects, three of them is what are we going to do with the old schools? You know, how can we possibly reuse them? Can we get them converted to affordable housing? And that's huge. That's a, a big part of what I'm currently working on. And then the other is how can we get people to that new school without a car? especially without a car. And so, you know, they're, they're two different types of projects, but they're, they're like front and center for, for me. And, and, you know, for the residents too. And people, people are going to, it's going to be a change. And I think we kind of know how people deal with change. It's going to be a little bit hard, but we're, we're going to kind of hit it head on and try to see what we can do. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I hear you. And you know, I, I did do a, a little uh, Google street view uh, map uh, and I happened to, to see the Maple Street school so I know exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah, beautiful uh, brick building still and and uh, uh, certainly would be, you know, nice to, to create a, a housing conversion type of thing and uh, Boulder, Colorado had a couple of their uh, schools in their, their old downtown area that they were able to make that conversion over to, over to housing. So that might be an opportunity. So yeah, but you hit the nail on the head right there. As soon as you, you said a new school location locating out this way, I'm like, uh, let's hopefully it's going to be walkable and bikeable for the kiddos because the last thing in the world you need to do is to stimulate uh, car trips.
0: Yeah. All, all is not lost. It, you know, it, it's really, it's just how fast can we make this shift? It's, it's a permanent shift, right? And, and so it's, it's going to be, it's a, it's a trans, it's the transformational project that is coming head on to us. But when you go out to where the, the new school is, I mean, there is a middle school there now. So it's, but it's, it's bringing all the students there. It's, it's in relatively close proximity to the high school. And then it's in close proximity to our, our largest park, uh, it's called Nanuet Park, and it's you know it's over 300 acres. It's got soccer fields, it's got baseball fields, it's got a pool, it's got trails, and so the idea is that this becomes a hub, and we we can get people there. And so so one of the projects I'm working on is, you know, it, it sounds so simple, but to to upgrade the trail connections between Nanuet Park and the new school, and then the high school, and we get this trifecta of it, it can happen. It's just it's a giant project. It's, it's, it's a big infrastructure project that you know we're, uh, we're in a feasibility study right now to figure out you know there's there's a road route where what, what we want to do is take the road and uh, make a 10 foot wide multi-use path. And the, the vision that I've laid out and it's not that I've laid it out, I, I should be careful this was in our 2008 master plan. So we've known for a while that the schools were going to need to be changed, relocated. And the idea of making this connection has, has been kind of prominent. And the the beauty is that we have the rail trail, the, and and that was goes back to the history of having the railroad go through and service all the mills. It kind of cuts across East Hampton laterally. And then if we can pull off a connector from the rail trail to the school, um, it's really an equalizer because we have all these older historic neighborhoods that can get to the rail trail and if we invest in this piece of kind of multi-use infrastructure to get to the school we'll have done we'll have done what we need to do my I just don't know if I'm trying to do this in a year or three years from now or five years and there's just a lot of momentum and so you know I've been working you know really hard looking at, is there any way we could get this situated so that when the school opens, it's there? I don't think the timing will work out for that, but I wanna be as close in heels as possible to that. And so, so I'm working really hard. Uh, we've got a lot of community support for it, but it's just, it's a huge infrastructure project that how do you get it shovel ready for funding?
1: Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. And, uh, and you know, I just pulled it up on the map, and so I was able to see where the rail trail is relative to where the high school is and where the current middle school is. And, and you're right, it's just south of that main pond that you have there yep. in, in, the, in the heart of the, the city. And when you look at multi-use paths, uh, bigger is always better. So if you can, if you can squeeze another uh, two feet in there, make that 12 to 14 feet, uh, I think you'll, you'll be well served on that, especially when you see the mixing of, you know, people walking, people running, people bicycling, you know, you just, when people ask me for, for advice on that, I'm like, yeah, it, it's rare that you can ever make your, your multi-use path too big. <laughs> so... Anything that you can do, and in fact, a, a, a way to keep the cost down too is runners tend to prefer to run on soft surfaces, and so one of the things that you can do is, you know, instead of doing a fourteen-foot-wide multi-use path uh, with the, the entire thing being concrete, is uh, you can make it more like twelve feet in in concrete, and then have shoulders on either side, which also help for stabilization of the path, which you know. Creates a situation where your your path will last longer from an infrastructure perspective, and on that uh, on that shoulder you have uh, you know aggregates so that the runners will actually run along those edges because yeah. they prefer the softer surfaces.
0: No, it's it's great to hear you say that. I mean, I, I look back. There's a there's a photo that I really like. It's from maybe it's from like 1990, and we had a little bit of the rail trail visioned out then. But in the ni- in, in 1990, maybe it was 94, 95 but there there was a group of committed residents who were like we can make this longer and we can expand it and so the picture of people and it's just a wooded it's just overgrown it was the railway and they they were like we can make this a path and they did it it took a lot of time a lot of commitment but that's where we're forging this new this new discussion and you know it's not going to be easy because we do have a lot of people who bike and walk on the rail trail but we don't have we don't have a lot, we don't have a, we don't have a committee or anything or uh, oriented on bikes. We have, we have a committee that services the rail trail right now. And we're trying, like, we want to try to expand that outward and get the support. We did try, you know, a little, um, this pat- as a result of the pandemic in Massachusetts, the, the, the DOT. So the department of transportation released these kind of rapid funds. It was called shared streets and spaces. And so they were really, they, they did, they did a great job of making money available to cities and towns to, you know, convert parking spaces to dining or do other things that got people outside. And a lot of bicycle and pedestrian improvements happen. And so what we did is we took this boulevard kind of road, what's called Williston Ave. And it, it is kind of the main entrance. It's, it's the vehicular entrance from downtown up to the high school. Mm-hmm. And we took the roadway and we we made the travel lanes more narrow. And then we made a two way bike lane on one side. And it just kind of happens that it traversed up the side, same side as the cemetery. So we really had like a protected kind of bike lane. Uh, it was, there was no curb cuts, there's no driveways or anything. So it was kind of nice. And we, we ran it, we had a, a painted lines and some, you know, cones, some delineator cones, and some people loved it. And, you know, we, you know, that was probably one of the pictures I'll, I'll pop up for, for the webinar, you know, is that we had some people using it, but, At the same time, it was a change and it it, it affected people driving. And we heard a lot, we heard a lot of negative feedback about it. So we, we dipped our toes there a little bit and we ultimately just kind of, we, we let it ride for a couple months and then we pulled it out, you know, kind of deciding that we're going to have bigger, we're gonna have a bigger fight. You know, we're gonna have bigger, more education opportunities. And we might want to pick our battles to, to kind of advance this other route that would also be, you know, it would be a big change for people. So we did dabble in that and overall it was a success. You know, it, it was well documented that we were trying this and, you know, we used grant funds. So we were able to tell people that, you know, this wasn't city dollars. It was intended to kind of demonstrate. So, you know, that was the first time I used um, the phrase tactical urbanism. You know, we, we went out and like, instead of talking about it, we went out and did it, and we heard a lot. We, you know, I learned a little bit about it, but it was just dipping the toes there. And I, I just think it's a common reaction. There's some other towns who did similar things, and Northampton, which is our our kind of adjacent community, did a more ambitious thing. And business owners kind of were were up in arms, and and it was you know they pulled the plug. Um, we have another community who's trying bike access on roads, and just this this battle between. The, the battle between the interests whether you're battling the the motor vehicle driver or kind of looking at parking so it was good it was very eye-opening and it kind of it's, it's preparing me I, everything I'm doing right now is is kind of practice for for the next bigger project and I, I feel like I don't have a bigger project lined up and except for this this route to the new school and so it's all practice
1: yeah yeah what's the the ethic like there and and really I guess more the culture of, of folks. I mean these are very, very short distances, you know, maybe maybe it's a, a little bit too far to to walk because, you know, like as you said earlier, you know, there used to be a, a boardwalk across the lake and so or across the pond. So, you know, we could get from where we're we're living to where our ultimate, you know, meaningful destination is. You, will people, you know, go ahead and say, you know, hey, it's it's really only a mile, a mile and a half, two miles. I'm just going to ride. It's a beautiful day. Is there that culture of just jumping on the bike and going in and getting an ice cream cone or?
0: Yeah, and I think the rail trail is is unique. It's it's a recreational opportunity. I, you know, people I'm sure use it for transportation, and and it does. You know, right now it runs from one side of East Hampton. It's kind of the, it ends in Southampton, and so. You know, there's an effort to expand it. Needs to happen because it would connect us to the south and west, Westfield, Southwick, and Connecticut. I mean, there's one town made made some decisions like 20 years ago, and they weren't going to support it. And so that's a problem because it stops at the end of East Hampton. But the other route leaves East Hampton, goes to Northampton, and from there you can cross the Connecticut River. You can get to Amherst, and so you know that route. It's, it's a longer distance and it's more suitable like you could actually commute if you worked at UMass Amherst you could get there by bike in terms of the leisurely you know I think we we need to do a better job of building a, a better a stronger bicycle culture if you're talking about like school-age children or their parents there are you know there, there's a couple of people who come to mind they're they're hard and they ride a lot and they ride with their kids a lot then I think if we had a a slightly better upgraded facilities and some better routes. I think we would, we would definitely increase the number of people who ride it, And it's, it might just be my going back only kind of four years, but only in the past couple of years that we do, um, you know, a, a bike to school day. So we're, we're about to kind of do like two, two per year. But the, the couple of times I've been part of that and seen it, the number of people who come out for that it's huge numbers, you know, and just like, the the bike the one bike rack at the schools heaps it's piles of bikes we we don't have I mean we we need to really kind of set a course that we re, we do more you know the bike racks kind of go along with the, the age of the school there's there's there hasn't been a bit a new bike rack put in at, at those elementary schools in in decades or the old metal like wrong ones they're all bent so we have homework to do we we but I, I think we are starting. Massachusetts has a program called safe routes to schools. And it's also, it's kind of like a parallel program through MassDOT. And we were part of it as a community, uh, but we're, we're renewing it. And we're, those are the bike to school days in October. We're going to do a bike rodeo where we have the safe routes people. We have the police department, the plane department will be there. And we're going to just try to bring people out and, and give them basic safety tips and really just try to promote that it is a safer, a safe alternative. And as we kind of build that culture, if we can upgrade the facilities, you know, it's kind of like, I hope this is okay. Like if you build it, they will come. I think we're we're at that point right now is people ride the bike, the Manhan Rail Trail, but we we need to do more connecting to our neighborhoods and get people from the from where they live to the rail trail more safely. So it's it's a lot of it's a lot of mini projects built in there that we we need to start chipping away at.
1: Yeah. Well, what's neat about your, your Manhan uh, rail trail um, facility there is since it does, you know, sort of cut at a diagonal through the city and it looks like there's plenty of of access points, you know, to be able to get on and off of the trail. And so, yeah, it, it definitely has that possibility of being able to use it as a... Uh, a, a commuter route, a utilitarian route, uh, you know, maybe not the entire journey, but, you know, being able to to jump off at a, at a point. I also, you know, did, you gotta love Google Street View, <laughs> being able to jump off and, you know, and and experience some of this virtually. Some of it was from 2019, and then some of it was recent, as in literally this year, 2021. Uh, so some of the images were older. But not terribly, terribly old, and then some were were obviously quite new. But one of the things that I noticed is that the, especially on some of the smaller streets, the residential streets, it is a, a nicely gridded network of streets in the in the 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 city proper there, and very very narrow streets, and you know inherently a, a lot of the ones that I looked at. Uh, had no sidewalks. And so very much a shared street environment, which is very similar to the, the the neighborhood I'm in here in Austin, Texas. And so my question for you is this, is that it seems like there's a great opportunity if you all can, you know, work on ensuring that motor vehicle speeds have been calmed appropriately, that, uh, you know, those streets could could operate as shared space.
0: Yeah, I think it's a I think it, it, you know, I don't want to downplay. I, I'm sure that, cause there's people who, who do do this already. And, and we've been, so like I have a nine year old daughter, seven year old, and seven year old just, just got off train wheels and it's, she's, she's interested in biking. And that was kind of a, a big, a big plat, like that was a big, um, accomplishment for us. And now we, we can go down like where we live. We can get to the rail trail and, and relatively safely. And I think there's a, quite a few neighborhoods that can. and, it's hard because we have a couple that are way in the outskirts and they don't have sidewalks. And, and that's the thing I, I do here. I live in town. And so people are like, what about, you know, in Loudville and you know, it's tough, um, to, to talk about getting a sidewalk for, you know, uh, five miles from, from one outskirt kind of neighborhood into town. Like that's really hard. So we have been focusing at more inward. We have been trying to build it into larger infrastructure projects. So, We've got a couple, like in the queue, we, we did a study in 2019, uh, uh, there was a school of landscape design and architecture and we had it at the Conway school and there were students who we, we, we paid a modest amount to have them come in. They, they, they immersed themselves in East Hampton and they came up with this sort of the overview and they mapped these routes and they found where, where they like these kind of super connectors would be. And it's really been a guide for me since then. Um, we did. Um, a, a 2020 study, which looked at connecting the plains, that kind of outlying neighborhood. There's a series of protected open space parcels that if if we really tried really hard, we could build a path through there and land at the new school. And then, you know, I'm in this feasibility study, which is taking one of those routes in the in the big picture plan and we're, we're, fe- we're, we're looking at the feasibility of a specific route. So I've been really kind of building on this and building on this, and I think we need to keep doing that and look at these alternate routes where we're, we're doing a study now. It's a as a result, again, as a result of the pandemic, the state released some funds, local rapid recovery. And and one of the things that we're trying to explore there is to bring in a team who will map these side streets. And because we have a couple main thoroughfares that I like, I won't bring my kid. On on the main thoroughfare, even though you have cherrys or you can ride in the street, I won't. It we it just won't do it as a as a parent with kids. But there's these side streets, and if if you take the right set of them, then you you've, you've gotten around and it's calmer. And so, I would just love to see you know painted lines, this circumnavigating around these side streets that can get you to the destination. And so, we we're kind of hatching these plans now that that I, you know, as long as I'm here, you know, that's, those are the kinds of things I want to, I want to pick away at. And, and it's just the pandemic has been really crazy for everybody, but the renewed focus on getting people outside, it's definitely all parts of my job. I'm, you know, that, that jack of all trades. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of the master of none, but I'd rather be, you know, <laughs> I don't want to be the master of one. So um, trails are, we have open space that, need trail enhancements. So we're looking at all of that. Our really popular trails got, got used so extensively. Um, and we took some data points during the pandemic. And so now, you know, we want to, we want to fund that. We want to upgrade those and we want to get people outside kind of biking, walking, hiking and all, all those kinds of things.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's clear that it's a very, very beautiful area. And uh, you know, I would say that you have quite a few, very, very de- desirable activity assets, you know, already on the ground there in, in the rail trail. And then, you know, as you said, just a matter of, you know, trying to work on that ethic of, you know, promoting a culture of activity for more of a day in and day out utilitarian purposes, you know, hey, this is a short drive, why are we driving? Let's, <laughs> let's jump on the bike. And if we know that there, you know, we can, Pop on over to Water Lane and head northwest for eight blocks, and we'll completely a- avoid that stretch of "quote unquote" Highway 141, which goes through a couple of different names. I, I see as it as it cuts through town there, but uh, it seems like that's your main corridor. That's probably the the biggest obstacle in terms of uh, an all ages and abilities street. Is that correct? It is. It's
0: a. It's a double-edged sword. It's. It's our. It's where. It's the main thoroughfare. We're doing some infrastructure upgrades, and in, in some cases, we can. We're squeezing out a bike lane, and some we have to do. Go to the riding in the lane, so the cherrys. Yeah. So so creating that alternative route will be really important um, to really kind of support people going forward. It's interesting because we're doing we're doing so much, and it's it's hard. I'm kind of like it's hard to figure out what to focus on, but. One of the biggest projects that we have just about to launch is a, a handicapped accessible trail it's at the foothills of mount tom so you know unfortunately it's still gonna probably require an automobile automobile to get there but it was this prime location 23 acres on the side of mount tom and we're we're going to build a, a an accessible route up to this uh, vantage point that will overlook kind of the oxbow and the connecticut river and then it builds this connection the trails on Mount Tom. So, for hiking purposes, we're we're trying to activate a few of these parcels like that, and then, you know, for biking, we're just we're really just trying to incorporate it into a couple of our larger projects. We we have one that was recently completed at a roundabout near near this giant mill. Um, it's one of our last mills to be revitalized, and a, a key component was to upgrade the crossing of the rail trail over this road and we built, um, this promenade. Uh, so we built, uh, it, it, it doesn't currently go anywhere because it's part, it's part one of a part two project, but we paved a path. Um, uh, we built a railing and it overlooks lower mill pond. And what we're modeling it after is, is in the downtown, we have another pond called national pond. And we did this, um, this public infrastructure project that was a, a promenade with a railing. And it is one of our most, active spaces we have in, in East Hampton as a blessing, it's next to an ice cream shop. So we've seen that people can come there and congregate on this, on this promenade. And so we're, we're mimicking it near this mill. And when the mill gets revitalized, they've talked about having a cafe and, you know, activating the second space. So we're creating these hubs. And I I think my point here is that with this infrastructure, for for several years now and for several projects, we're trying to build this infrastructure that we can activate. So behind the mills was a multi-million dollar infrastructure project. We we cleared out utilities and we did water sewer. On top, we built a parking lot, a pretty big-sized one, and it opened up the back of the mills for businesses. And then that is parallel to the bike path. And so now and then there's a there's a park there called Millside Park. And so over the past couple of years, we've seen this infrastructure get activated um we were super lucky i think starting in 2018 uh we had these a couple concert series we had a concert series that activated the the park and it was these super unique bands coming out of new york city and it was just well articulated these these concerts and it drew in people from all over the place and a tremendous amount biked there and walked on the rail trail there and they did a bike valet and it, it evolved. And we had it in 2019, it got held off in 2020. And then we're, it's getting resurrected this September, but kind of this, uh, Mill pond live, you know, is, it's just an example of, we built this infrastructure. It's a park, it's a rail trail, it's parking, and it's these businesses and these mills and it's just created this hub of activity. So we're trying to replicate that with this with infrastructure that obviously you need to drive on it, but if we can do a little bit extra and build a park or build a little area that can be activated, we have a lot of arts and culture activity. We have a, we have a person in the planning department who really works to activate these spaces and programs them and we have art walk. And so it's this beating of this drum that we're, we're trying really hard that everywhere you turn, there's something happening in East Hampton. And that's kind of where we have this momentum right now. And all these businesses, you know, I did want to give a nod to, the people who are investing in East Hampton, these business owners, are are really contributing to the vibrancy. We have things that are experience based. So you're you're coming here to do something. And right now the beauty is you come here once and you, you've only done a couple things. And so you're coming back a second and even a third time. And so I think we add in biking or the recreational experience to that. And it's just a it's it's another experience that are coming here for and we're just trying to harness this energy and really promote that it's been really exciting
1: yeah yeah well and you mentioned uh, a roundabout and i think i see one <laughs> over your shoulder there as well on the on the map and uh, uh and so that's uh, i'm assuming that the primary purpose here is to try to uh create an environment where you can do some traffic calming slow things down a little bit but also maintain some level of of flow through the area Yeah. It's a, it's,
0: that's the struggle. You know, we have to keep cars moving through the main corridor, but we're building off of that. And I think those are where these centers of activities are happening, but you know, cottage street is, is a, it's just a very kind of, it's, it's 141. It's one of the streets that you mentioned, you know, it's very compact. It's got parking on both sides, buildings, and it's active. It's always busy and it's our, we have a cultural district designation there so it has accomplished a lot. Um, you have to drive slow, you have to kind of drive carefully, but there's activity. And so we've had this kind of discussion where some people are like, it's too narrow or I have to drive too slow. And I, why don't we take out the parking and everyone else who comes with a certain lens is like, no, 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 no. you want that. You want cars to go slow. A lot of communities are trying to get that level of activity and we have it. And so You know, we have that discussion, you know, some people want to just fly right through there, but the reverse is actually better where you're slowing people down. You know, we have active, we have a lot of people who park there, you know, I'm out, we're doing a project where I'm, I'm counting the number of cars that are parked in, in that vicinity because we have Maple Street schools right at the top of cottage street and we don't know it's destiny yet, but some people have said we should tear down the building and build parking you know, 150 spaces and and we don't, we don't need that. We need probably 20, you know, we need, the building could stay, the building could be, the building could, we could put a new building there. But if we had maybe 20 parking spaces, that's kind of the demand that we, we kind of need to satisfy, but not, not 150 spaces. And so, you know, we're going through the growing pains that I'm sure most, a lot of towns are going through that. And we're just trying really hard to resist the urge to just, build more parking because, because coincidentally, you know, cottage street's not very long with other end of cottage street. We have town hall where I'm, where I'm at right now. And there's, there's 92 parking spaces right here. That's a, it's a two minute walk. And at night there's, there's 92 parking spaces available right here. So and we've been upgrading the sidewalks. We've been upgrading the lighting. We're trying to do more signs and, and let people know that, you know, A stone's throw, a little bit further. There's a lot of parking, so we're we're trying to just push back on those those kind of notions.
1: Yeah, stick to your guns on that. Um, (laughs) That's the the great thing about over overview of, you know, pulling up Google Maps is you can you can get a bird's eye view and you can see that, yeah, there's surface parking lots everywhere. (laughs) You're not lacking in in, in parking, that's for sure. And also to your point on Cottage Street there on Highway 141, that is where your boardwalk is. So that boardwalk that you were talking about is right there. It's the last place in the world you want motor vehicles traveling at speed. This is a meaningful destination where pedestrians are present. So yes, you do want it to be a a slow moving environment. So good, good stuff. And I see too that You've got some raised crosswalks and some new trailheads that are also uh, in the works. Talk a little bit about the raised crosswalks and, you know, and trail crossings, because that's a a very, very important uh, safety mechanism. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, you know, people have been working hard. Uh, I'm the third sort of city planner here. And the people who came before me laid a really strong foundation to kind of move from and you know, I, I give them praise. They, each everyone has done a lot, but the rail trail has kind of you know it's it's such a treasured resource that you know we need to keep investing in it. We need to kind of keep making it safer. And so we've got the roundabout crossing, which we mentioned, is, is a Mass Works project that's just wrapping up, and we're hopefully next year. You know, not hopefully, but we are funded to upgrade this other crossing on Union Street. So it's the other part of one forty one. It's just Right now, you it, you can barely tell what it is with a with a parent with a kid like it's it's kind of sketchy, so that's going to be a raised crosswalk. It's going to be a prominent thing that you either as a as a user of the path or as a motorist you're going to you're going to realize that there's something right there and you're going to slow down and, and it has to happen. It's a safety measure, and we have a couple other crossings that what we want to do is we want to get kind of design plans going and be shovel ready. What what we kind of are anticipating is more money coming forward to communities, but we have to be shovel ready. Like none of these funding sources want to study, like what they don't want to fund too much design. So we're really looking at that, I think, to, to kind of increase the safety. And then related to this is our other crosswalks in Massachusetts, at least <clears throat> these signs, the pedestrian signs that Are push button activated and they flash, they're rapid flashing beacons. It's it's become the norm. And when I first came in, there was the first two put in East Hampton, and then kind of the irony is that the the private school started installing them. They 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 had ready access to 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 cash, and they installed a series of them. So not in a super competitive way, but in a competitive way, we said, okay, we got to up our game. You know, we have a lot of these crosswalks that are a little bit dangerous. And so we, we kind of went full force into installing more of these. You know, they're not perfect, but they are better than nothing. And so we, we've we upgraded a, a quite a number of the crosswalks with the rapid flashing beacons. So those are like the baseline things that we need. We, we need to continue to do the baseline things to support our pedestrian and bicycle access. And then we need to keep these alternative routes going. A lot of what we're doing is, is kind of in its infancy and I'm not an army of one. I have a you know, I have a little staff here and that's been part of what I've been doing is growing the planning department to match, match people's expectations. So, so we're, we're three planners and a, and a person who does, you know, conservation related uh, things. And right now we're, we're all tapped out. So, investing in the infrastructure is also needing to invest in people. Cause I've learned a lot in the four years is that every project takes a person or people to to drive it. And they can sound good, but to make them happen is just this, this constant every single day you need to be advancing these projects. So so we are we are looking at kind of like people people infrastructure, you know, it, it it's a hard investment. The the, the economy, you know our budgets all took cuts, and so at this time where we're at the lowest, we have money coming at us, and we're we're not really well equipped. We're, we don't have a, we don't necessarily have enough people to to keep up with with these expectations and kind of capture the money and make these improvements. So, you know, the mayor in here in East Hampton, she's up. Uh, she's been in office for two terms. She's up for a four-year. This is the first time that a mayor in East Hampton would serve a four-year term, and I I really think that it would be important for this administration kind of to keep going because we're, we're kind of just scratching the surface and all these projects take time, take the vision. We've laid out a lot of plans. And over the past four years, we've, we've kind of articulated some of the goals and the needs, and now we need to take those and make them shovel ready somehow. That's so a big, it's a big part of what we're going to be doing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. One thing that I'll, I'll say is that uh, at least you're you're lucky in that uh, Highway 141 through the heart of the the city there is just basically two lanes, two travel lanes. <laughs> it would it would truly be a nightmare if you were trying to deal with four travel lanes, you know, through there. And the expectation that, as some people were saying, they wanted to be able to drive fast, you know, at that location of the trail crossing, it's it's just you know one travel lane uh in each direction. So uh, you know, counter blessings on that side because it could be much worse. <laughs> I agree. Well, fantastic, Jeff. Hey, is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you want to make sure we mention?
0: You know, um, not really. I, I appreciate this. I think this is great. I'm I'm humbled to have had you reach out to me and, and talk about East Hampton. I think we're just trying really hard and I think nothing is happening. Magically, it's it's a lot of people who are committed to kind of keep it going and, and make the change I think you know I, I really think that if we can make East Hampton a little bit more connected for for pedestrians and bicycles I think we're opening up that same opportunity to to people who are older We're, we're definitely looking at people with mobility issues. So the, the discussion about bicycles and pedestrians by doing that We're we're gonna make it better for for other people and that's a really key thing. I mean, I think when we look around our downtown, it's, it's pretty old. And the, I think the hardest thing for, for me to get across to people is, you know, funding is, is just so essential. And what we've done really well at is taking our long project list and then aligning it to a funding source. And so, so that's the biggest trick I, I struggle with is. People are like, well, what about this area? And you know, the problem, the problem is is that there's no funding that uh, correlates to that right now. And, and so we have to focus on the areas that and, cause otherwise we have plans that sit on shelves and I, that's like, I am I'm, I'm not into that. So trying to find the funding sources that align with the projects. Um, we've just been looking at that with like a laser focus. It, it makes us look a little scattered sometimes, but when you look at the big picture we have plans and we have we know we have needs across town and w- when the time is right you know that's when they'll rise up um this the school project you know we have this tricky intersection you know it's main street and south street it's, a, it's this intersection it's a, it's a it's a known problem and we're stuck in this conundrum where we don't have enough vehicle trips we don't have enough turning movements but the, what it looks like is once the school comes online, that will change and we might we might actually have a higher level of activity that would allow us to get funding for that intersection. So that's like one of these things where we actually need the increased level of activity to justify like a big improvement there. And so just talking talking that through with people, you know, some people get it and some people are like, okay, okay, you know, maybe we'll wait a couple of years and we'll get something. And other people are like, you're not doing your job, you know, we need this now and so that's that's it's just finding funds the money that's it's not all about that but that's a it's a critical component like if, if we're looking at a project and there's no money that we can find to make it happen then that's hard so i struggle with that that's that's a hard one for me you know as a person who lives in town i i walk around i i see parents and people when i'm dropping off my kid i see teachers so just realizing that it's a it's a kind of a it's a it's a puzzle, and you need all the pieces in one place to kind of make it happen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have a visual on that particular intersection, but it sounds like it might be a good opportunity to consider another small footprint uh, roundabout there, which will... Uh you know, give you some uh, leeway for the future traffic volumes that you think that you're going to have at at some point in time and the fact that you're you're getting some roundabouts uh, that are going to be slow speed uh, traffic calming in nature, you know, throughout the city, there's going to be a little bit of a cultural acceptance to to that as a potential uh, uh, traffic device for intersections. And to your point earlier about... You know the bike and ped types of stuff it really is about all ages and abilities so de facto when we say bike and ped infrastructure we we are also saying you know for all ages all abilities so if somebody's in a wheelchair or has limited mobility or is no longer able to drive anymore this is something that will really help to serve you know that population as well
0: yeah no i i think that's a good message It's important because I don't want it to get lost in a translation that we're only focused on certain things. But I think if we can accomplish that, then we accomplish those other, you know, the improvements for other people too. So that's really important. I I will just say quick on that, that intersection I mentioned, it won't be a roundabout candidate. Just in case I get thousands of viewers here (laughs) or listeners, you know, we need a light. We need a, we need a stoplight to allow the safe crossing. And, and it's just the numbers. And, and, you know, that's a, it's a state controlled intersection. So they want the numbers and that's, it's a trick, you know, that it may not have been the best example, but it is one where the school and relocating the school is going to change traffic patterns. And that's the kind of thing we need to really be keeping our eye on that it's, it's a big change and it's going to set up like, it's going to set up 45 projects, but we're going to need to look in the long run. You know, we've had our schools for a hundred years in those locations. So, you know, 45 projects is going to take a while to accomplish. We, we really just need to prioritize the top ones and keep doing that kind of consistently over and over again and, and seek the funding for those.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I hear you. So based on your personal and professional experience, um, what advice would you have for those listeners that have been listening to uh, this conversation and they're inspired to make a difference in their neighborhoods and their communities, what advice would you have for them? What should they, uh, you know, potentially do to to help make a difference? I think getting involved and getting
0: getting to know how your city or town works, I think, is is really important. And I I know it can be a little bit mysterious for for some places and some people, but you know, getting a handle on what what your city or town has looked at, kind of in the past and, and looking ahead, you know, those are going to be really important. And I think understanding that it's not all going to happen at once is really important. And then if you really want to, if you really want to get and make change, you know, getting as involved as possible, there's, there's some squeaky wheel, you know, stuff that, that helps and and that can accomplish certain things. But in terms of big kind of sweeping changes, you know, that's like a, that is a, there's a whole, you know, there's a whole set of things that have to happen from the, from the infancy, Building support and it really takes time. I, you know, we um, for a little while we we took some field trips. Um, this was something that our mayor Mayor LaChapelle, you know, had this vision to like let's go let's go visit a couple other towns and and meet with those folks who are in those governments. And so we visited North Adams. So it's up in the northwest corner, north yeah northwest corner of Massachusetts. And in a lot of ways, it's a little bit of like a little sister city east hampton it's it's got a mountain as one border it's got a river and a canal system it's got mills it's got arts and culture and you know when we were walking through and listening to them talk about their projects almost across the board all eight years like this is where in our like it because you hear about this project like a renovated theater it's gonna be you're gonna hear like it started eight years ago and it took these people who just painstakingly gathered more input and more people and they got on boards and committees and they, they just were so committed. And that's, that's my takeaway is that even in East Hampton, like the best projects that we have, you know, the look back time is, is really long. And I think people who come to a new community, I struggle with this a little bit and I try really hard to to tell, to talk to people about it. They come in and that that's the point of entry. And a lot of people only look at, look ahead. Like, so what are we going to do now? And you need to look back because a lot of times these projects have have laid seeds eight, ten, even longer. As a as a planner, you know, that's you got to be super patient. <laughs> you have the long view. <laughs> yes. So you so that I, I think that's the advice is you you to expect something to happen just because you say it's going to happen. That's that's tough. But to say you know what I'm I'm committed to this and. Over the next five years, I I love when people say, okay, in three years or five years, that's way more realistic for, for kind of big changes to happen. So that's, that's my advice is um, kind of take a moment to look back and just realize that when you see a great project, there's, there's a ton of legwork that's, that's been done to wherever you're entering it to get to that point. So that's my, maybe that's my best takeaway. That's great. Area.
1: No, that's, that's perfect. It, it, it's a re- recurring theme here too, is that, you know, you've got to be patient and you've got to be persistent. It's going to take some time. So that's good stuff. Hey, what's the best way for folks to follow along with the great work that y'all are doing there in in East Hampton?
0: Yeah, no, that's great. Um, you know, a double-edged sword of course is, is social media, but we we're using Facebook, um, right now as, as one of our best ways to, to share information. And we have the the previous people before me kind of did a good job of nurturing that. And uh, we got a lot of people who can get engaged that way. So the planning department in East Hampton has a Facebook page, you know, I'm dabbling with Instagram. We are, we just launched a new website. So for more stationary things, we're trying to build up the website to mirror the social media, because I think it's unfair. Social media is only capturing certain people website is capturing probably even less people and we're trying really hard to get the word out. It's, it's an issue. Um, how can we better communicate with, with people in East Hampton and there's no, there's no silver, silver, silver bullet right now, but social media as a double edged sword is one of the best ways. And, and I, for during the pandemic, I set out with my nine year old and we made videos and they were actually way more popular than I would have imagined, but we, we did video updates, and as I watched them, we, we got a lot of viewership that way. What I realized is it's, it was hard to maintain right now. I've been kind of quiet because I'm, I am rustling these projects to, to go. And a lot of them are kind of ready to blossom again. So we'll probably do more video updates, but that's something that I got to do a better job even in the video updates is, is leading people to them, leading them down the path of how long it took. But some of these video updates are, they're not that fun you know, to talk about another, you know, pre, a pre-bid meeting with, with contractor, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't get you video hits, but when the, when the excavators out there getting ready to dig the trail, so that's that Mount Tom trail, that's the accessible trail. Great. We're, we're set to break, break ground probably in September. And so that's just a, you know, it's a huge, a half a million dollar project that
1: we're, we're going to set out on. And so that's about what I got. All right. Well, hey, you know, I, I think you missed your opportunity. You could have uh, broken into TikTok with those videos. <laughs> Maybe I will. Maybe it's not too late. <laughs> That's right. Resonate with the younger generation out there. Hey, well, hey, it has been fantastic and fascinating conversation here, Jeffrey. Jeffrey Bag is the city planner for East Hampton, Massachusetts. Jeff, thank you so much for joining me on the Active Towns podcast.
0: Thanks, John. I'm really, like I said, I'm humbled and and grateful to be here. It's, It's great. So I appreciate all the work that you're doing and all the setup and all the time that you have invested in this. So, so I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for,
1: thanks for having me. Thank you all so very much for tuning in to episode number 91 of the Active Towns podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jeff about the progress they have made and the challenges they face in East Hampton. I'm struck by how universal the obstacles are, whether we're talking about a small city or a large metropolis, an old historic settlement with roots dating back hundreds of years, or a newly minted modern community. Navigating away from car dependency is hard and even small incremental changes can prove to be fear inducing events, which can quickly turn into outright opposition. So to channel Jeff's recommendation, get involved with your community talk with your neighbors, and be prepared to be in it for the long haul. Good things come from persistence and patience, and don't forget to celebrate each and every victory, no matter how small. For more information on the topics we discussed and to see some photos Jeff sent my way, head over to the landing page for this episode at activetowns.org. And one last reminder before we part ways, if you're enjoying the Active Towns podcast, our videos, and in general, appreciate my efforts to promote a culture of activity, please help me out by making a donation, spreading the word, and subscribing. Thank you also very much for your support and for tuning in. Well, that's all for this week's episode. So until next time, this is John signing off by wishing you much activity, health, and happiness. Cheers.